Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. And welcome on in to the Mass and All Access podcast, a special late draft night episode for you guys, where we have all three of us on a podcast together, all three of us spread out across the couches. That's when you know it's a big day. It's draft day. It's a big day. It requires all three of us on a podcast today. Potentially dangerous trio for <laughs> the Mass and All Access yeah. podcast. We are tired, a little bit loopy. I could tell. And here we are. I could tell how tired you are because you said all three of us three times and didn't give our names. <laughs> yes. For any of that. I am Tim Leonard, Brendan Mortensen, Paul Mancano. All three of us. Again, one more time. We are tired. It's been a long but a very fun day covering the Orioles draft today. They have one more pick still to go tonight. Believe it or not, it is the 67th pick. We might get to react to that live here on this very podcast. But Already three picks have been made, and let's start with the number one overall pick, which was Jackson Holiday. After weeks of speculating what the Orioles would do, after some wonky odds were out in the later stages of the draft, Brooks Lee skyrocketed in odds, then he went down, then it was Tamar Johnson as the odds-on favorite. The Orioles have selected a shortstop out of Stillwater High School in Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday who I think has a great mix of a high ceiling and also a very high floor. Yeah, as we've said kind of all along throughout this draft process, there were kind of two guys at the very top of the draft in Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday. They were kind of in a tier of their own in terms of talent. And then you had some underslot selections with Tamar Johnson, Brooks Lee, a bunch of other possibilities there. But with Jackson Holiday, Tim, I think, like you said, you kind of get the best of both worlds a little bit where he might not be the best player available in the draft. A lot of scouts and evaluators had Drew Jones as the best player available in this draft, but you get a really good combination of somebody who is probably the second best player in this draft and a pretty decent value. We don't know the exact numeric value for what Jackson Holiday will sign for, but we're guessing that it will be a little bit cheaper than what you get with Drew Jones, and it allowed the Orioles to go overslot, which we'll talk about in a little bit. We're assuming overslot with the number 33 overall pick. Yeah, it's an interesting pick because I think we were always trying to decide, okay, are they going to go underslot or are they going to take Drew Jones? And then they took Jackson Holiday, who's kind of in the middle there. But as you hinted at, Brendan, I think, Paul, there's a very good chance that the Orioles just decided, you know what, Jackson Holiday is our number one player. And if he's not number one, he's just slightly behind Drew Jones and he's going to be for a better deal. So it's a better pick. Yeah, I think we too often kind of broke it down into they're either going under slot or they're not. They're either getting the best talent available or they're going under slot. But with this pick, I always talk about during draft season getting the best player at the best price. And I think that's what they got here. In other drafts, in the NFL draft, in the NBA draft, it's just getting the best player because they have their slot value locked in. But here it is getting the best player at the best price. And so that is not necessarily, that doesn't mean go under slot every time. That doesn't necessarily mean take the best talent available every time. It means the best combination of both talent and price point. And it it appears that the Orioles did that with Holiday because Holiday, in my mind, like checks all the boxes as a typical number one overall pick. I mean, 
we talked a lot about Termar Johnson being a potential number one overall pick, and there were definitely qualms about his ability to stick at shortstop or third base. He might have to play second base long term. Um, that was a major concern. That's something, his size is something that certainly would be abnormal for a number one overall pick. Drew Jones, you know, size-wise, talent-wise, tools-wise, was worthy of the number one pick. And in a similar vein, Jackson Holiday is the same way. Five-tool player who plays a premium position, comes from great bloodlines, is big enough to play this position at the MLB level. So to me, he checked a lot of the boxes that you would look for in a theoretical number one overall pick. And I would say, too, he's a five-tool player in a sense, and that's what you hope for. Mike Elias hinted at that, that he thinks he is going to be a five-tool player based on his throwing mechanics and based on other things, his speed. So there's... Very few flaws in Jackson Holiday's game. I think everyone else in the top five, you could point to one or two things. And again, you're nitpicking when you're talking about a top five overall prospect, but Elijah Green had a lot of swing and miss. Drew Jones, the hit tool was a little bit more of a question mark than Jackson Holiday. Tamar Johnson, the fielding was the question mark. Brooks Lee, would he hit for power? The fielding also a question mark. Not as great speed. Jackson Holiday. It's tough for me to visualize a scenario where he doesn't pan out because what would be the trait that would be lagging behind? Maybe he struggles to hit a little bit because he is a high school hitter, but you look at his high school numbers, Brendan, and it's hard to imagine he's going to struggle too much because they're outrageous. Yeah, they're ridiculous. He hit 685 (laughs) in his senior year of high school throughout 40 games, and we keep talking about Drew Jones. That's the name that continuously got tossed out as the best player available in this draft. When Paul and I talked with Brad Selick on this podcast leading up to the draft, he said that the number one tool that the Orioles look at is the hit tool. And when you are looking at the complete package, Drew Jones had some tools that flew off the page. He had a 70 grade for his running ability. He had a 70 grade for his fielding. He had a 65 arm. Jackson Holiday, you're not going to find any 70s. But what you're not going to find is a hole. And Drew Jones, it seemed like that hit tool was enough of a question mark where, yeah, maybe the other tools really flew off the page for you. But with Jackson Holiday, you really couldn't find a flaw. You would have to look really hard to find a part of his game that scouts didn't think would translate. And the other thing that is interesting about Holiday is just how much he skyrocketed up draft boards in the last year and how much he progressed. And when I chatted with him, and by the way, check out that interview if you haven't already on our social feeds or on the Mass and Orioles YouTube page. We had him on the Mass and All Access show a couple weeks ago leading up to the draft and asked him some questions about kind of his memories of watching the Orioles growing up. But I also asked him what has changed in the past year for you so that you were able to skyrocket up draft boards. And he talked about how he went home school so he could focus more on baseball. And he also added a lot of strength and improved pretty much all areas of his game. That's what you hear scouts say is it's not often you see a player improve in all facets of their game like Jackson Holiday did over a year. And the part that I like about that is you're getting a player that's on the upward trajectory, right? And, you know, Elijah Green, we thought at this point last year might have been the number one overall pick. Maybe you can make a case that it's wrong to doubt Elijah Green or it's not like he went on the decline necessarily. But with Jackson Holiday, it is intriguing that he has kind of skyrocketed up boards from the point where if you would have done a mock draft at this point last year, he might have been mid to late first round, and here he is number one overall pick. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting the fact that he is a high schooler because of the small sample size, and we don't know what he would have done 
had he gone to college. But we know coming into this draft that Michael Elias in this front office certainly favor, especially when it comes to position players, college hitters. Because you have at least two years worth of sample size, worth of statistical data to comb through. It makes the projection a lot easier because you just see where this guy is as opposed to we're looking at Jackson Holiday now and saying where can he be when he's Brooks Lee's age, when he's Jacob Berry's age. And it does take more projection, but just based off the numbers of the guys at the top of this draft, odds were they were going to have to take a high school hitter. So I think it's interesting that we get our first taste of what Michael Elias looks for when he's looking for a first-round high school hitter. We saw him go over slot with Gunnar Henderson, what he looked for there, clearly went for the power from that left-handed swing. We're also starting to get a trend that Mike Elias certainly loves his lefties. Yes. I mean, yep. look at the highly drafted picks of the last few years. If he can't get a lefty, he's getting a switch hitter. Adley Rutschman was a switch hitter. Heston Kirst had a lefty. Colton Kowser a lefty. Kyle Stowers a lefty. Now you get Jackson Holiday, who's a lefty. So you're getting a lot of, and then a lefty as well with the number Dylan 30. Dylan Beavers, yeah. And Dylan mm-hmm. Beavers, who we'll get to. So we're getting some a sense of these trends now. And we have an idea of what Michael Elias looks for in a high school hitter at the top of the draft. But that's being said, Paul, Michael Elias has been consistent about the fact that he will select the high school hitter if it's the right one. And we've seen it in the past with the selections of guys like Gunnar Henderson and Kobe Mayo. And we know how that has worked out so far. Gunnar Henderson, of course, now the fifth ranked prospect in all of baseball. Kobe Mayo has really flown up the Orioles top 30. He could be a top 100 prospect at some point soon. So yes, there is more data available for a college hitter. They are a little bit more well-established facing better competition. But if you're able to properly evaluate a high school hitter, and if the Orioles believe that this is the right high school hitter, they've had a ton of ta- of success with that type of talent in the past. And I would also say, as far as high school hitters go, this is on the safer side, I would oh, say, yeah. in Jackson Holiday. Just looking at his tool set and looking at his numbers this past year and how much he improved, and also his pedigree, I think, is something that we haven't really talked about yet to this point, but... That's a big part, and when you have the number one overall pick, you want to make sure that he comes from the right family and he's a hard worker and all that stuff, and it feels like he checks that box as well, which is really important. Yeah, I, and I talked to Sig Dell right after the, the pick was made, and he immediately talked about him being a hard worker, and it's funny because you'd think Sig Dell coming from the analytic side of the organization, you're thinking... You know, obviously, he's going to take that stuff into account, but primarily he's looking at the the statistics and the analytics and to say, how can we extrapolate the data that we have? But just as important, if not more important, is how interested is he in getting better? How invested is he in getting better at this game? Because if, if he could have incredible statistics, incredible talent, but if he doesn't have the growth mindset that the Orioles are looking for, he's not going to improve. He's not going to get better. So you add him to a system that already has a knack for bringing out the best in these guys. There was a great article on ESPN.com. Jeff Passan wrote this this afternoon, I would say, about Jackson Holiday and the kind of effort it has taken him to get over the hump and put himself in that conversation of being the number one overall pick. And you come away from that pretty impressed with the makeup of this kid. And that's clearly something that the Orioles take. It's not just something that they, you know, pay lip service to it's something that they take and we've seen it with Gunnar Henderson Gunnar Henderson in another player development system probably doesn't do as well but Gunnar Henderson with without the same drive and without the same attitude and intensity 
probably doesn't do as well either because he has all the raw talent in the world, but it's on him. It's incumbent upon him to get better and work at his craft. Yeah, I, I think the more we talk about it, this feels like a dream pick for the Orioles in the sense that they got good value, but they also got one of the highest ceiling players in this draft. And you could have talked yourself into any of the five guys that they were probably considering between, but I went into tonight and thought, if they take Drew Jones or Jackson Holiday, that's a potential superstar. Elijah Green maybe is also in the same camp, but I wanted them to take a player that had a high ceiling, and I think of all the players, this is the best mix of ceiling and floor. When you consider that there were four high school players at the top of this draft class, and that comes with some uncertainty, he's got a very high floor for a high school player, and he also has a high ceiling, five tool, and it. the more we sort of talk about Jackson Holiday, the more it just feels like Mike Elias was probably circling him for a long time now because the five-tool aspect, we'll get into some of the guys they drafted later on, but that's something that he's looked for as well, an all-around player with the pedigree that Holiday does have. Yeah, Holiday has the potential to be a five-tool shortstop. I mean, he has been great defensively at shortstop in high school. Obviously, we'll see how that translates once he gets to the minor leagues. He's going to get bigger. He's going to get stronger. Maybe he'll have to move over to third base, but it seems like scouts are pretty confident that he'll be able to stick at shortstop. And like you said, Tim, Michael Elias has said throughout this process that he just wants to maximize the value here throughout the entire draft. But I also don't want to discount the fact that Jackson Holiday might have just been the best player on yes. the board. Right. Yep. There's, there's a distinct possibility that throughout this entire draft process, the Orioles had Jackson Holiday ranked higher on their board than Drew Jones. I mean, I know Jones was the consensus among a lot of evaluators, but it wasn't an overwhelming consensus. I mean, he was probably the guy in 80 to 90% of big boards, but maybe the Orioles just saw something in Jackson Holiday where, okay, there weren't any holes in his game, like maybe there were with Drew Jones. So I think it's it's a real possibility that he was just the best player available here. No doubt. Well, we were wondering, were the Orioles going to make a shock at the first overall pick? I think the big shock of the draft was Kamar Rocker going number three. There was some chatter as I look at Paul's face. He's, he's, he's displaying I am shock. that shock. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There was some chatter amongst us. Could Kamar Rocker, after being in the discussion for the Orioles at the number five pick last year, fall to the O's at number 33? He goes to the Rangers at number three in this draft. So now the Rangers have both the Vanderbilt pitchers from last year as they took Jack Leiter last year. We're only just 30 picks off. Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit off there. Tim yeah, Collier also slipped in this draft. I think that was a little bit of a surprise, falling to number 18. But we can get into in a little bit what the Orioles did with their later picks here. And again, pick 67 is coming up here. Overall, I think the Orioles probably had a good gauge that they wanted Jackson Holiday all along. And again, if they viewed him as just as good as Drew Jones or even slightly better than Drew Jones, which I think is very possible, then they really made out here with a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, heck, I said uh, this afternoon before yep. we started to get yep. on cameras that if I was making the selection, I would pick Jackson Holiday because I thought that he provided the best mix of great player and good value with the number one overall pick. I also want to address some of the questions that we're getting live on Facebook and YouTube. One of the biggest questions is what does this mean for a Gunnar Henderson? The Orioles now potentially have three shortstops in the top 100 prospects per MLB pipeline once the rankings are updated with the new draft class. Maybe Jordan Westberg gets bumped out. Point being, there are three very good shortstops yes. <laughs> in this system right now. And for those asking about Gunnar Henderson, 
I think it's a really good solution, which is that there's a really good possibility that both Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday, and you could throw Jordan Westberg in there as well, are major league caliber shortstops defensively. And if you have to move one of them to third base, that's something you'll do happily because a good shortstop is probably an excellent third baseman defensively. So if you have to push Gunnar Henderson over to third because Jackson Holiday is a maybe a better defensive shortstop, great. Gunnar Henderson's going to be awesome at the hot corner, but that's a really good problem to have and one that you'll figure out when both of those guys are hopefully succeeding at the major league level. And right now, Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson are both in AAA Norfolk, and Gunnar Henderson is much closer in age to Jackson Holiday, just 21 years old, I think he just turned. Just, just turned, barely. Yeah, so, uh, and where, meanwhile, Jackson Holiday is 18, so two, two and a half year gap there. Jordan Westberg's a little bit older, 23, so... But in terms of level, those guys are much closer to the big leagues. So who knows when Jackson Holiday will debut? That is years away. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, odds are Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg will have at least a year's worth of big league service time under their belt before they debut. But don't forget, Jordan Westberg played a lot of second base. So he could be your future second baseman. I know the Orioles have a Taron Vavra in their system, but they have a Connor Norby in their system. But if you're looking at pure talent, and where they are going to be slotted into the Orioles' top 10, you could be looking at Jordan Westbrook at second, Jackson Holiday at short, and Gunnar Henderson at third. Yeah. And that is an ideal second, third, short combination. Right. I mean, that if all three of these guys hit, that's what you're looking at, and that, that has the potential to have incredible talent there. And I think we're all in agreement that when you're picking number one overall, you don't worry too much about position overlap because, frankly, the Orioles have yeah. good players all across the board in their farm system right now as well. Michael Elias, not that there was any doubt about this, but he made it pretty clear that he thinks Jackson Holiday is going to stick at shortstop in the future, which is a huge plus. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're, you're stacking the deck. I mean, you would much rather have a bunch of guys who have the potential to be quality defensive shortstops and have to move them to a second base or a third base because you have too much talent at the position rather than scrambling to try to find a shortstop who can play that position well defensively at the major league level. Well, and we're going to see, we've already saw last offseason how much shortstops are going to command in the free agent market, how much they're going to, some of them, like a Dansby Swanson is going to command, and a Carlos Correa, if he hits the market again, are going to command in the free agent market. So it, it, it's a lofty, just like starting pitchers, it, it's going to cost a lot. So to have a young, controllable player at that position is going to be huge for them. I want to get your thoughts real quickly, though, about where Jackson Holiday is going to fit in this Orioles top 30 prospect yeah. list as well. That's, uh, well, I think you could realistically see him on MLB Pipeline maybe as a top 10 prospect when they do the next ranking, maybe top it's, 15. I mean, if, if anything, he's going to be behind Drew Jones slightly, and of the newer guys, he'll be right there. So to me, I think he slides into, I don't know, maybe just a right behind Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez. Right now, Grayson Rodriguez is number one after Adley Rutschman graduated in the Orioles' top 30. He's number four. Number in, four in baseball. In baseball. Yep. And Gunnar Henderson is number two in the Orioles' system and number five in baseball. Then you talk about a Colton Kowser, D.L. Hall, and Jordan Westberg to round out the top five. For me, guys, I think it's a question of whether Jackson Holiday is above or below Gunnar Henderson 
as the second or third overall prospect. What do you think? My guess as of right now is that he is probably behind Gunnar Henderson in the prospect rankings. I don't think Holiday immediately jumps into the top five. When I look at the top 100 on MLB Pipeline, I see a name like Marcelo Mayer, who had number one overall pick potential a season ago, was selected by the Boston Red Sox fourth overall in that draft, slipped a little bit. He's currently the 10th overall prospect in MLB Pipeline's top 100. I would expect Jackson Holiday to be somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. I don't think he gets quite up to number five. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And real quick, before we move on to kind of the other guys that the Orioles drafted tonight, because that is really important as well, when you guys were talking about sticking at shortstop, it kind of hit me that the other players at the top of this draft, you know, Brooks Lee had question marks, would he stick at shortstop? Tamar Johnson played shortstop in high school, but most viewed him as a second baseman. Last year's draft was littered at the top with shortstops. Jackson Holiday was really the only long-term projectable shortstop at the top of this year's draft class, which yeah. is interesting. You talk about what you want to do with your first round picks in any organization, and it's build up the middle. We saw Adley Rutschman, 2019, that's a catcher. We saw Colton Kowser in 2021 is a center fielder. That's up the middle. The only pick that is really an anomaly for Michael Elias so far is Heston Kerstad. And I, in every way, that pick still sticks out because that's also a guy that had some pretty big holes in his game. And you talk about, Ad, and it, again, it, when you're picking near the top of the draft, it's probably easier to find somebody who doesn't have holes in yeah, his game, right. who's more of a complete prospect. But Adley Rutschman, pretty darn complete prospect. Colton Kowser was Build as a five-tool player, according to Mike Elias. Jackson Holiday, we're saying, has five-tool potential. Kerstad was the only one. He had great power, great, but great swing and miss, and not a great hit tool. He stands out because he plays a corner outfield position and because he had some major holes in his game. So it's going to be interesting to see. That pick just philosophically doesn't quite fit with what we've seen from Mike Elias so far. I will say, though, Paul, we just saw the Orioles select Max Wagner, mm -hmm. and he does have some holes in his game, but we saw significant improvement year to year with Wagner where the tools maybe don't jive with what we saw most recently. With Heston Kerstad coming out of Arkansas, his first few years, yeah, it, it raised some question marks about his hit tool, about the swing and miss. But in the very small sample size that we saw of Heston Kerstad in that shortened 2020 season, it seemed like it answered a lot of those questions with the hit tool. So I think That's it's true. possible that maybe the Orioles were just uh, m much bigger believers in the improvement that they saw rather than the question marks that were raised in years past. And yeah. when we talk about Wagner in a little bit, it's the same story. Question marks were raised in years past, but if you believe in what you saw most recently, then maybe you think that's a really quality player who could have gone higher than where he ended up going because of the question and, marks. And I, again, I think you're right because I think that was the biggest disparity in 2020 of the perceived tools, what the outside media was saying, and outside draft evalu evaluators were evaluating these guys as saying and what teams were saying because we had such a tiny 16-game sample size for all of these guys in 2020. So that was a big gap in terms of information that probably we won't see again. So maybe they had Heston Kerstad with a hit tool that was 10 points higher than MLB Pipeline did, whereas this case, I think it's 
pretty much for the most part, these outside draft evaluators like Draft Network and Prospects Live and MLB Pipeline, they pretty much are in lockstep with front offices. And yeah. right now, we're not seeing a lot of swing and miss in Heston Kerstad's game. That's, yeah, that's no. right. <laughs> At lower level, but the swing and miss is not there. Yeah, so good so far there. Wagner, it's similar to Jackson Holiday, how they broke out and then rose. And, right. and maybe that pops off in their models as well. Guys that have really had breakout years. Let's get into who they selected later on in this draft. They've already selected two other college hitters, two 20-year-old hitters. The first selection came at number 33. It was an outfielder out of Cal, Dylan Beavers, who was the number 22 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, entering the night. They get him at 33, has some plus raw power, slugged 634 at Cal, and it seems like across the industry, scouts are complimentary of this pick and everything, and when you can get the number 22 player on the prospect rankings at 33, it seems like a good pick. Yeah, again, we're speculating here in terms of what the va- monetary value of this pick will be. My guess it's is that it's overslot, because Dylan Beavers, like you said, was ranked much higher on prospect rankings than he was selected here by the Orioles at number 33. Scouting reports have said that when he's locked in, he is a five-tool potential player. He gets a lot of Christian Yelich A lot comparisons. of Christian Yelich, which is Which encouraging. Is, right. <laughs> and I likened him to Kyle Stowers, who is yeah. a former Orioles draft pick, 71st overall. Stowers was kind of a similar kind of player in college. Pac-12 was a center fielder who scouts think can stick at center field, but more than likely will move to a corner because of a quality arm. Beavers and Stowers have the same 45-graded hit tool, which means they have a little bit of swing and miss. Beavers is a very aggressive hitter, but once he makes contact he's able to drive the ball with a lot of power so it kind of reminds me of Kyle Stowers and obviously we know how Stowers has done so far yeah I think these lefty hitters when it comes to Stowers when it comes to Colton Kowser and now when it comes to Beavers they have more of a hit tool I think the Orioles feel confident that they can develop that hit tool into something more than it is and I think that that's something that we saw early on Kyle Stowers struggle with was he his first year in short season single A Aberdeen? I think he hit 212, 216, and there were some serious question marks about is he was he really worthy of a second round pick of a 71st overall pick because his offense just wasn't that good. We saw Gunnar Henderson hit the ground running, but these guys had holes in their swings. Yep. And Gunnar Henderson is you know it got exposed a little bit in 2021, and he closed the holes in that swing. So maybe the Orioles see something similar with these lefty hitters and they feel like they have the ability to develop these guys and close some of those gaps. Yeah, that is the question mark when you look at Beavers and you read the scouting reports is some criticize that he has an unorthodox swing, maybe has some holes in the swing. It's kind of an unorthodox approach of the plate, low hands when he's swinging, that type of stuff. But as you said, Paul, the Orioles have made a habit of really – improving guys in their system and developing them and making them better hitters. So to me, if your critique right now, knowing what we know about the Orioles system, if your critique is you have some holes in your swing, I almost am like, okay, that's fine because the Orioles have done very well with that. And Gunnar Henderson's an example. There's several examples. His tools across the board, power is kind of his best one at 55. You mentioned the 45 hit. The rest are kind of in the 50 to 55 range, but he's got plus raw power. And I really like the Kyle Stowers comparison, Brennan. It seems like very similar to that. And that's a guy that's really really worked out to this point and they polished up his swing a little bit. Yeah. And again, just speculation that this might be an overslot signing. We are not 
100% sure on the monetary value of this pick. But I don't know about you guys, just given the success of the Orioles player development system and how well guys have performed throughout the minor league levels, when the Orioles draft somebody like Beavers, who has a five-tool potential, I feel pretty confident yes. that he is going to <laughs> reach that ceiling. I mean, that's just how good the player development system has been so far. And when you have somebody like Beavers who just has such raw potential, you mentioned the power potential there, Tim. The swing is a little unorthodox. Kind of reminds me of Matt Olson with where his hand placement is. It's a little bit lower and kind of outside his body a little bit. But I don't know. I just feel pretty confident that this player development system is going to help a guy like Beavers reach his five-tool potential. Yeah, and I think another comparison that I would throw out there is somebody who is also drafted in this range, Hudson Haskin, somebody who was billed as having a very unorthodox swing, and it's worked to different levels of success. He has not been nearly as successful as a Kyle Stowers or a Gunnar Henderson but he still is considered a top 30 prospect in the Orioles system. So if that's the outcome that we get from Beavers, I don't think that's a bad outcome either. Yeah, he struggled on the Cape a little bit last summer, also for Team USA, but he had a very solid year hitting for Cal this past year. Again, just a 20-year-old. He hit right around 290, hit 17 home runs, so displayed some power there as well. Let's move on to the 60, or sorry, not 67 pick. That hasn't happened yet. The 42nd pick from the Orioles, which was was Max Wagner, the third baseman out of Clemson, another college bat, this time a righty hitter for change, and a guy that, again, had a huge breakout year for Clemson in his freshman season, hit in the low 200s, believe it was 214. He's a draft-eligible sophomore after going from a 214 hitter who was kind of a replacement player at third base for Clemson as a freshman to the ACC Player of the Year as a sophomore and really displayed some power towards the end of this past season. Yeah, wasn't even a starter at the beginning of his sophomore year this year at Clemson. He was a draft-eligible sophomore, so the Orioles are selecting him after that sophomore season. You mentioned the power. He had 17 home runs in his final 24 games. Which <laughs> I is thought it was a typo ridiculous. when I read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ties the school record with 27 home runs on the season. And we talked about it a little bit, Paul, with Heston Kerstad. This is very much a case of do you believe in the improvement? And the Orioles pretty clearly believed in the improvement that they saw from Jackson Holiday, who they selected number one overall in the improvements that they saw from him in his senior season. Do you believe in the improvements for Max Wagner during his sophomore year? Because I, like you mentioned, Tim, his freshman year was not very good. Hit just 214, struck out a ton. Scouts have said that he looked helpless against a slider. So that was not very good at all, <laughs> which is why the hit tool is only a 50. But when you look at his stats for his sophomore year, you kind of go, how is his hit tool a 50? He hit 370 with an OPS over 1.3. So if the Orioles truly believe that the true Max Wagner lies closer to what you were able to see during his sophomore year, which was incredibly impressive, you might have just gotten a steal at 42. Well, you think, too, let's say he wasn't draft eligible after his sophomore year and he went back to Clemson his junior year and he had similar type of numbers continued to rise. Maybe in next year's draft, he's a first-round talent, middle of yeah. first-round type of player. So it feels like the Orioles may have gotten a steal in the sense that, again, he's on the incline and he's on the younger sides that may have – 
you know, scared some people because there's a little bit less of a track record of him succeeding. But even if it was just one season, it's at ACC competition. If you're the ACC player of the year, you're a pretty darn good player. I mean, even if you're doing that after a slump and a struggling first season, to do it at any year is really impressive. Yeah, and I think the when you're talking about extrapolating the numbers and the ability of these guys into the future, maybe the Orioles just want to see what the ceiling is. Yeah. And for this, yes, you saw what the floor was with Wagner his freshman year, but they see the ceiling clearly, and it's his sophomore year. And maybe they say, all right, he wasn't able to deliver that consistent, consistently, but we know we can get him there. And we we have at least he has the ability to do it. You know, whereas for somebody else who is just steadily hitting, you know, in the 280s or 290s and doesn't really show a whole lot of power and just gets a tick better every year, maybe that's not as enticing because you say that I look at a guy maybe, unfortunately, like a Caden Grenier, who was a former top prospect in the Orioles system, was a second round pick out of um, Oregon State right before Adley Rutschman was. He was one of the final picks of the Dan Duquette era. And somebody who never put up spectacular stats in any year in college, but he was great defensively. And the thinking was, well, he's just going to continue to get a little bit better every year. But we never saw incredible production. And he never reached that. He never was able to translate the production that we saw in college into the pros. So maybe that's a lesson to be learned on the other side, where you say, you need to see that this guy has a high enough ceiling that even if it's not sustainable in the college level, that's okay. We'll get the most out of him when he's playing every day. He's not going to classes all the time. He's going to be in our lab. He's going to be working with our coaches every single day. We'll take that ceiling and we will make sure that he reaches it. And this isn't a first round pick. This isn't the number one overall pick where you'd be scared away by a smaller sample size. This is a second round pick where you can take a chance on somebody who showed flashes of brilliance. And I mean, not just flashes. This was pretty much the second half of his sophomore season where he was pretty unbelievable for that entire stretch. So if you truly believe that that is the true Max Wagner, you might have just gotten an amazing pick at 42. Yeah, and he's rated as the 66th best player on MLB Pipeline prospect-wise going into the draft today. You get him at 42, but I think we're in agreement here that all three of these guys have very high ceilings. And given what we know about the success the Orioles have had in developing hitters in their farm system, there's no reason to think that they won't clean up the holes in the swing. You mentioned how Wagner struggles with the slider. Beavers, there's been some talk about how he struggles with handling the curveball and handling spin a little bit. So these are things that can get cleaned up. And I think you make a good point, Brendan. We're not talking about the number one overall player anymore, but this is where the Orioles have really capitalized in drafts. And this is where you can turn a good draft into a great draft by really executing these picks. And I'd have to think that Mike Elias is very pleased with how these three picks went today and overall just how the draft is shaping up. Yeah, and I asked Mike Elias shortly after the pick was made on our MLB draft live show about, You know, obviously, these guys are not coming to terms tonight on a contract. They're probably not coming to terms tomorrow or the next day on a contract. But they know around where these guys are going to sign for, around the dollar amount. We saw a report that uh, Jackson Holiday is going to sign for over $8 million, but probably under slot, 
with Which that number one overall pick. Which is customary for the number one pick. Yeah, yeah. the slot yeah. value was, I believe, at what, $8.8 million yes, for eight, the number one overall pick? And some change, yep. yeah. So Jackson Holiday, if he signs over $8 million, we're not sure how far over $8 million, but it sounds like he is not going to sign at the full slot value. Right. right. So we don't know, obviously, exactly how much, but I asked Michael Elias where he felt like, you know, if he felt like he left himself enough room over the last couple days, you know, over the last couple picks. And if he felt like he had enough to attack the draft, he said he did. He he had an, enough to be aggressive in terms of drafting these guys, which makes me think that, you know, maybe they're not going to take a huge swing on a guy and try to sign him for way over slot. But he feels like if they have to go over on a couple of these picks, maybe they do. And you mentioned that you think Beavers might be an overslot guy. So if he's an overslot guy... You know, if the draft eligible sophomores that we're seeing coming off the board, if they're over slot guys, then the good thing is it appears like Jackson Holiday has signed for or will sign for a little bit under slot. And that could give the Orioles a little bit of room to fit these guys. Yeah, it's interesting, too, how often Michael Elias has brought up just how large their draft bonus pool is and yeah. the money they have, which might be going under the radar, if anything, that they have the second largest draft pool in history. Quickly, before we get out of here, I'm looking at the MLB draft tracker. It seems like we might get to the 67th pick as we're on this podcast. We're pretty we'll tired see. here, Tim. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're tired. It's been a long day. It's the 64th pick right now. We'll see how quickly it gets to it. But I want to just quickly touch on the topic of pitching and the fact that the Orioles have not selected a pitcher so far in the first three picks. They have two more in before we get to the 81st pick here and one more tonight. I think that's just a matter of sticking to the process, right? And when you guys had Brad Selick on the show recently, he talked about how it is a little bit tougher to evaluate pitchers for a lot of obvious reasons. So I don't necessarily view it as a flaw or I'm not upset that the Orioles have not selected a pitcher yet. I know a lot of fans are looking at the state of the farm system, what positions are a strength, what positions are maybe a weakness, and they think that pitching should be a priority. But I still trust what Mike Elias is doing, and I trust that you don't deviate from the process at any point, and that will lead to the best result. And I think, obviously, you know, a lot of the best pitchers that we've seen are first-round talents. However, I think if you're the Orioles, you're going to be able to find pitchers later on in this draft that have what you're looking for. And maybe what you're looking for is a high spin rate fastball or a quality second pitch, uh, maybe a plus slider, a plus curveball, something like that. I think you are way more apt to find that in the later rounds as a pitcher versus the later rounds as a position player where you really have to look for the entire package if you're drafting somebody. I mean, you can be a quality hitter, but maybe you don't have any sort of fielding ability or you're not a great runner, and then all of a sudden you're not a great pick in the later rounds of the draft, where if you're a pitcher that's maybe settling somewhere around the fifth round, if you've got a fastball with a high spin rate, that's really something you can work with. I think it was pretty telling when Brad Selick told us that he thinks that the drop-off between a first-round position player and a 10th-round position player is greater than the drop-off between a first-round pitcher and a 10th-round pitcher because that tells me that the Orioles feel a whole lot com more comfortable waiting on these pitchers because they feel like they are can find a guy with what he calls the special sauce <laughs> in terms of spin rate and velocity and exactly what they're looking for. We don't know. But we're getting an idea with the Carlos Taveras that they took last year and those kind of guys. 
It's a lot of high spin rate guys. It's a lot of good secondary pitches. It's what a lot of teams are looking for, to be honest. But the Orioles have their own formula, and they are trying to you know, squeeze it out of the later rounds of the draft as opposed to investing these high draft picks in pitching. So it is isn't clearly an organizational philosophy, and the idea is once you get this farm system to where Mike Elias wants it to be, it's already number one in baseball, but he wants to strengthen it even further, and this team continues to win like we saw, like we've seen through the first half of the season, and you start making win-now trades, you are going to have so much depth position player-wise in your system from which to deal, and you are going to be able to attack the trade market with all of this high-drafted position player talent and try to acquire a pitcher as well. Right. Tavera, by the way, didn't he win a pitcher of the month relatively recently? He did, he did. yes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a fifth-round pitcher who had the special sauce that the Orioles <laughs> were looking for, and he has been excellent this year in the minor leagues. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it is 11.54 East Coast time. I, I think it's time to call it. We've, we've had a long, <laughs> very fun day here covering the draft. If you missed our draft live show, go back and check that out. We will have a full draft recap show tomorrow as well, getting you ready for the second day of the MLB draft, which will pick up from the third round. Orioles have the 81st overall pick. Very early on in the it's day two of the MLB draft that is coming up, but shout out to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast late with us. Be sure to subscribe to the Mass and All Access podcast wherever you get your podcasts on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you to Amy for producing. And also, don't forget about our draft recap show, which is coming up tomorrow, and continue to follow our social pages as well, as we will have you covered with the remainder of the MLB draft for the Orioles. A very busy draft and a very busy first day, but a fun day here for the Mass and All Access team. So thanks for following along. If you're still watching live with us at 11.56 or whatever, then you are, are truly a draft sicko. Go to bed. <laughs> Go to bed, yes. And we will be back with you tomorrow. But thanks again for following along. And we'll talk to you guys soon on the Mass at All Access podcast. 